And your, your wheels, like I used that analogy a couple weeks ago, I was stuck with the tractor in the muck. And your wheels can just spin and spin and spin and spin. And you think you're playing a, a great religious game, but the reality is you're not going anywhere. You're just spinning. You're just spinning. And you're using the religious rhetoric constantly. But you're not, you're not moving in the heart. Your heart isn't being touched. You're not being drawn to God. And it almost can be like idolatry, can it? Religious idolatry. So we need to be praying even more so, crying out to God, not just declaring, not just declaring. We need to come to God and intercede for our community and intercede. Isn't that what you wanted to hear when you came to church on Sunday morning? You know, I've realized that a lot of people come to church on Sunday morning because you know, I need to go to church on Sunday morning. It's a good thing for me to come. But it's also, we come for the wrong reasons sometimes. Sometimes it's subtle. Sometimes the reasons we come to church is that I can get something or be entertained. Right? Not all of you, but some of us. We can have that attitude. Well, it's, it's not always, it's not, it's not a conscious attitude. It's subconscious well, what's going to happen today in church? Is it going to be a good sermon? How is the worship going to be? Do you know what I'm talking about? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And so we leave church and we think, well, you know, I'd give it a, now you may not say this, but I'd give it a three today. I'd give it a four. I'd give it a six today. No, that's not the spirit that God's looking for in our heart and life, is it? He's looking for us to come and excitement. To come to him in excitement. And we bring that excitement into the body of Christ as we meet together. Sometimes we're just so distracted in church. We think about, we're thinking about things that we're going to do later on in the day. But I want to encourage you all. It's time to get out of that rut if you're in one. And get rolling with God. Because God has a whole new, he's got a whole new experience for you. And you know, when the Holy Spirit touches, like, like he's doing in that community, when you've experienced that before, there's nothing like it. You just come on fire, don't you? And we need that fire of God. So Holy Spirit, we invite you. Breathe your fire on us again. Breathe your fire. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Well, this tomorrow, actually, is Memorial Day. And, you know, some of you may remember it as, or hearing it called Decoration Day. You remember that? Decoration. I think that was initially, the, re, the, tr- the, the, the name of it was Decoration Day. But it was to go out, people went out to the grave sites and honored those, particularly those who had fought in military. And they honored those people by putting flags and different things, buntings around on their graves and honoring. Wasn't that great? And it became became a, a time as, as to remember, a memorial to these folks. As I was thinking about this message, and I'm only going to speak a little bit about memorials, but I was thinking about this, how in the Bible, actually, it's very, very scriptural to have memorials. I was walking across over to Island Park, which is Duck Park today, I guess, but there's a, you go across the new covered bridge, isn't that fantastic? Isn't that a great little bridge? I haven't actually walked across it, but I remember just as you go across the bridge, there's a boulder there, and it's built up on a, a little foundation of stones, 
And on that boulder is a plaque. And it was dedicated, oh, sometime like 1946 or something. It was right after World War II. And it was a dedication to the men that served in World War II. And I thought, wow, it's almost an obscure place, but it was dedicated to them. And what it is, it's a memorial. Every time people walk by there and they stop and read that plaque, they think of the men that served, and women too, uh, that served uh, in World War II. Uh, my brother was a Vietnam veteran, and he was the commander of the VFW. And he had me take a picture when they, at the courthouse, there's a memorial there. You know where that is, right across from the party store? And I, I took a picture of him as the commander and the mayor at the time, and I'm sure I snapped the picture for him. He said, come on, Gary, I need to take a picture for me. And it was in the newspaper. And that was a memorial as well. Do you know that there are memorials in the, in the scriptures? There's a number of them. We're not going to take a lot of time with that, but I'll give you just a few. In Genesis 28, Genesis 28, we see that the first mention, as far as my concordance gives, of a memorial. And it was a stone that Jacob set up. He had the dream. Remember the dream? And verse 18, I'll just pick it up. So Jacob rose early in the morning... And it was a promise from God was speaking to him. And it says, So Jacob woke up, rose up early in the morning and took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel. However, previously the name, was this, the name of the city had been Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me on this journey that I take and will give me food to eat and garments to wear, I will return to my father's house in safety, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone which I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And all that God does give me, I will surely give a tenth to him. So he's that tenth is a tithe. If God blesses me, I will give him back. So that was a memorial. If we look at Joshua 22, a little further ahead here, past the Pentateuch. The five books of the law, we come to Joshua 22. 22, verse 9. And in this place, they too built up a memorial to the Lord. And one of the reasons they did a memorial was that not only for them, but for their children. So when they were out and about and were traveling to and fro and they were with their families or the tribes and the children and the children would see these big piles of rocks or whatever it might be, they would say, Father, what is that? Why are those rocks all piled up over there? And then the father could say, well, let me tell you why those rocks are all piled up over there. This is where God did this. And this is where God did that. And this is where God was faithful to his people. Do you have a memorial in your life? Do you have any memorials? Do you have anything? We have 12, I think it's 12 little stones, not real big, that we picked up a number of years ago that lay outside by our back, back deck. And those stones were stones we picked up when we were walking on the beach when I was determining and praying about whether I should go full-time in the ministry or continue to work the job I was and, and do the ministry on the side. And so when we made that decision that afternoon, it was a Sunday afternoon, we picked up these 12 stones, and they're piled just out our back door. And that's a memorial. It reminds me 
Even though I'm out and about and doing things, I forget about the stones. Every once in a while, my eye will catch those pile of stones there, and I'll say, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I remember that. I'll have to tell my grandkids what those stones are for. There's another memorial that we can remember and actually participate in, and that's the Lord's Supper, isn't it? And the Lord said, do this in memory of me. Do this in memory of all that I have done. So isn't that incredible? So memorials are important, and this weekend is important as Memorial Day. Don't let it just go by as another holiday that you can have a picnic or barbecue or go camping. That's okay if you do those things. But make it, make it something special to remember those people that laid their life on the line so we can have the freedoms that we still have. Okay, now we're going to transition a little bit from there. There's... Um, I have about four messages that are kind of percolating, and so I need to keep it to one, probably just one today, right? I already had one. That's two today, so let's look at this. Well, I'd like to encourage the body of Christ in, uh, in, a, in a way this morning and also to challenge you. You know, when we come to church, as I mentioned earlier, all of us have, many of us have different expectations. Like I said, sometimes it's just subconscious expectations. But it's important that we understand that why it's, why we come to church. Why do we come to church? Why do you come to church? Uh, Some people come to church because they like the social butterflies. They just like to be around people, and it's a great time on Sunday morning to be around some really safe people. And other people come to church because, well, we're supposed to. The Bible says we're supposed to. And the Bible does say we're supposed to, doesn't it? In fact, it says in Hebrews, it says, Do not forsake the assembling of yourself together in church. Do not forsake that. Don't, don't just go when you feel like it. It's really important that we build up a faithfulness unto the Lord, a discipline unto the Lord. Many years ago, as a new believer, I remember Mrs. Barnes, everyone called her Grandma Barnes, and she was the lady that actually started the Beaver Lake Church. Yeah, Jay remembers her. She was a great, great saint. And I remember her getting up, I think it was on a Sunday night, because we still had church on Sunday night in those days. And people wanted to come to church even on Sunday night, which is something that people don't want to do anymore, but nonetheless. And I remember her saying, she says, you know, I never, I never miss a Sunday. Now, she was probably in her 80s at that time. But she says, I never miss a Sunday. And she says, you know why? Because I've seen too many people over the years miss one Sunday. And then they miss Sunday night. They miss, a, they went, miss Wednesday night. And he said, before long, they just drop out of church. And she said, I never wanted that to happen to me. And then they ultimately began to drop away from the Lord. You may not think you are, but you are. When you come out of the body and the the strength that's in the body of Christ and the anointing, the corporate anointing, you begin to drift away. I'll take anybody on in that argument, nose to nose. You drift away. I've watched it happen for three three decades. Pardon? And Paul backed me. Thank you. I have a witness on that. So this is so important. She said, "I never want to. I never want to do that." So she said, "I make a commitment." To always come. And that encouraged me. It encouraged Michelle. Because as new believers, we would go Sunday morning for two, two and a half hour service. And then we would come back that night for another two hours. 
And then to work in the morning, and then Wednesday nights, I would drive, you know, 175 miles in my job, and then drive 50-mile round trip to church. Why? Because we were hungry for the things of God. We were hungry to know God. And I just want to encourage you all. I don't know where all of you are at, but we must develop a hunger for God in this day and age as, not, as, as a, like a none before. In our time, because we have what the what the Bible says, we have gross darkness that's covering the earth, isn't it? Gross darkness is covering our country. I mean, have you ever? Did you ever think you'd wake up one day and say, "Wow, they're going to let women who think they're men and men who think they're women go into whatever restroom they want"? Have you ever thought that in your wildest imaginations? And you think, "What is this about?" Why has this become a national debate? Does anybody know what's going on? It's not about one-tenth of a tenth of the population wanting to use a certain restroom. It's really about, and I've actually heard secular people say this, it's really a spiritual battle to destroy and confuse all anything that even tastes or smells, or is a glimpse of Judeo-Christianity. That's really the issue, isn't it? If the issue is restrooms, all they have to do is put male, female, lock the door, or put another room in, right? But that's not the issue, and so we're, we're focused with that. Gay marriage is the same thing, isn't it? That's not the issue. The issue is that the, the, the nation and the body of Christ is under an attack as never before. So that's why I'm saying to you folks, there's darkness on the land. That's why I'm saying to us all to encourage you to know we are in a spiritual battle. And the way we live life before is over. Every man has a, and every woman has a place in the body of Christ, has a responsibility in the body of Christ. Do we not? We have that responsibility. You see, if we don't understand the invisible war that's going on around us, we're just going to be pawns. We'll just believe whatever comes down the pike, whatever the media feeds us with, instead of what the scriptures say, instead of staying true to the Bible. That's why it's important for us, particularly now, to build in the body of Christ, to build our strength together, to build our relationships together, to build in community as never before. Amen? Amen? Amen means so be it. So, so be it. So when we come to church, it's important that we don't come just for the entertainment of it all or just see what happens, but we come to church not only to receive, but to be changed, to be challenged. And I hope that's what I'm doing, and we're doing Sunday after Sunday, is to challenge you. Because you can't stay in the mud. We can't stay that wheel in the mud. It burns a lot of energy, and it goes nowhere. God has called us and placed us in a place of victory. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 2. And I think too often times when we see things going on around us that... Just a, 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 just a, a flood 
of philosophies, just a flood of things like gay marriage and transgender bathrooms and all this sort of thing. When we see that, it's easy for the Christian people just to say, oh no, oh no, we've lost. Oh no, it's, there's no hope. But listen, there is hope. Let's, let's look at Ephesians chapter 2. And there's, there's a lot here. I'm just going to pick up a few places here. I'm going to pick it up in verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we are dead in our transgressions and our sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace have you been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Do you know that you and I are in Christ Jesus, if you're a believer, that you and I are seated with Christ next to God the Father? Do you know that you and I are in a place of victory? See where I'm coming from. We're not in the place of victims. We're in the place of victory. Even though we feel like the minority, we are the people who win through Christ Jesus. This is so important for us to understand this, that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. So whatever we do has to come out of a mindset of victory, being on the offense rather than victimization on the defense. Is the sound system working, Tom? Yeah, okay. We must position ourselves, be bold, be strong, for the Lord thy God is with thee, right? Be bold, be strong, for the Lord thy God is with thee. We must take the position of victory rather than defeat. I have something here from Michael Brown, Dr. Michael Brown. If you don't get his stuff, you can get it on Facebook or you can get it on uh, email, and he writes a lot of, of great articles, and I, I post them, so someone may, maybe read this, I read some of these things. But Dr. Michael Brown has written, Michael Brown is a Jewish fellow, raised a Jewish man, and became a Christian. And anyways, he has a lot to say about Judaism and Christianity and a lot of really great things and all sorts of things he writes about, but he's really current. But listen to what he says. This, is, this he thinks, is probably one of the most um, important writings he's had in the last couple of years. And it's called, Who Changed Things? Who Changed Things? I like that. Who Changed Things? Who changed things from the vibrant, spirit-empowered, by life or by death faith of the New Testament to today's spineless, home-and-garden, Sunday morning religion? Who changed it? Who was the author of that? Who gave authority? Who changed things from leave everything and follow me, Luke 14, to pray this little prayer, raise your hand, I added that in, and you're all set for eternity? Who changed that? Who changed things from a fearless proclamation of the truth, whatever the cost or consequences, to a watered-down, compromised message that is afraid to offend anyone. Is this hitting home? Big time. 
By what authority? By whose decree? Based on what revelation have we so blatantly departed from the faith of the apostles? Who changed things? Who changed things from New Testament faith, where even disciples couldn't minister without the Spirit's endowment? Endowment, excuse me, to today's version where whole ministries are run with hardly an evidence of the Spirit's work. A.W. Tozer once said, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we could do would go on and no one would know the difference. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everybody would know the difference. Who changed things? A lot can happen in 2,000 years. This remains true of most of the contemporary church in the West. Who changed things from a God-centered faith to a man-centered faith, from take up your cross and deny yourself to bypass the cross and empower yourself? Who changed things from holiness being beautiful to holiness being bondage? From the early church being known for its high standards to the contemporary church being known for its scandals. Who changed things from the people of God being a threat to the powers of darkness to the people of God being active participants in darkness? In the early church, Paul instructed the Corinthians to separate themselves from people who claimed to be believers but were living in outward, unrepentant sin. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Today, some of these, those people lead our churches and preach from our pulpits. Who changed things? You getting tired of this? Okay. Who changed things from a faith that was so focused on the life of Jesus and so infused with the reality of his death and resurrection that no sacrifice was considered too great and no act of service considered too extreme? To the contrary, Suffering for him was considered a privilege, Matthew 5.10, Acts 5.41, Philippians 1.29. Today's convenience store Christianity, where we have to sell salvation to the sinner by spicing up the deal with perks and benefits. Who changed that? When did Jesus stop being enough? When did obedience become optional? When did keeping God's commandments out of love for him become religious in the negative sense of the word? Yeah, holiness. Anybody who lives a holy life is thought to be religious and legalistic, right? Legalistic. Narrow-minded, legalistic people. Didn't Jesus say that if we loved him, we would keep his commandments? Maybe it is that we just don't understand what his commandments are. Maybe we think that, hey, it's all been done on the cross. I have no responsibility left. I just believe. Thank you, Jesus. Maybe so. What do you think, guys? Gals? Is there a responsibility? Yes, there's a huge responsibility. You guys look you're getting you're getting the mean look in your eyes. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm teasing. Thank you. You all look great. <laughs> Just teasing. I like to tease, so. 
Who changed things? If we belong to another religion that claims to have other books that supplemented the Bible or traditions that superseded it, would be one thing. But we don't. We believe the scriptures alone are God's word, and that nothing that comes after the scriptures, no traditions, no alleged revelations, no consensus can undermine or countermand the word of God. Who's changed this? I was reading some things, uh, I, just to digress for a moment here, I was reading some books, skimming through them, that, that someone gave me. Uh, another pastor in the Alpena was giving them away. And he just spread all these books out, and this person gathered up a half a dozen and brought them to me. He says, this is what this man reads. This is what this man's teaching. And I read these books and read through them, skimmed them through. It was nothing. It was New Age. It was blatantly New Age. You know what that is, the New Age movement? It's the occult. It's demonic. It's another spirit. It's another gospel. And I looked at those, and my heart just sank. And I already, I already knew that's what the man was proclaiming here in Alpena. Who changed things from the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ to a man-centered God? You know, one of these books said, it was from uh, this, this uh, liberal pastor, liberal in the sense that his views on the scripture is such that he doesn't believe in the virgin birth. And he doesn't believe in, in, in our basic tenets of the faith. He doesn't believe those things. In fact, he's a p- pastor. He's in New England. And this is what he teaches his people. You know that's being taught in Alpena. Who changed things? Who changed things? Who's watered this stuff down? Who's taken the word of God and perverted it and twisted it? Do you know what perversion means? Perversion means to be twisted. I have this stick here. It's a piece of, what would it be a nice little piece of lumber? A nice piece for something handy around the house. Cut the end off square. It's The dimensions are perfect on it. You know, if you took your ruler and measured that, it's three-quarter by, it looks like inch and a quarter probably. It's planed, it's nice and smooth, but there's something wrong with it. It's twisted, isn't it? It's pervert. And that's what we're getting so much of today. It looks like the Word of God. It seems like wisdom. It seems like great intellectual understanding of things to them. Look at that. If that was a gun barrel, you could shoot behind yourself, you know. (laughs) It could almost work for a boomerang. But it'll boomerang on them when they stand before the judgment seat of Jesus Christ and give an account. You know, for those who pervert the gospel of Jesus Christ, there's a greater condemnation Jesus said, if you lead, if you cause one of these little ones to stumble, it's better for you to be drowned in the sea. Isn't it? And we bring a false gospel. We are accursed. Do you know that? When we proclaim or we listen or toy with a false gospel, Paul the Apostle said, you are accursed. He said in Galatians, he said, if I or an angel from heaven... Bring to you another gospel than the one we've already preached. Let them, let us be accursed. This is big time stuff, folks. And we see the spiritual wars going on all around us. 
But guess what? God has called you and I to be warriors in this fight, in this invisible war that manifests the, the visible in the sense that it's a spiritual warfare that's going on and it's using people. Let's move ahead here, Dr. Michael Brown. Who changed things from the biblical version of the Jesus faith to the modern American version? I'm going to say this. I like to read it this way. So who changed things from the biblical version of Jesus' faith to the Joel Osteen version? To the emerging church version? I got some people, some ruffled feathers there, but if you want to talk to me, I'll explain where I'm coming from from that. Joel Osteen's a nice guy, don't get me wrong, but have you ever heard him preach the gospel of repentance? Anybody ever heard him preach the gospel of repentance? It's a different gospel. We can debate church history and blame this group or that group, and we can point out what's wrong with this denomination and that denomination. We might even have some great historical and contemporary insights. But unless we get back to believing what is written and acting on what is written, we will continue to perpetuate a merry-go-round Christianity with lots of noise and actions and bells and whistles with little authority, little purity, and little effect, if any. I didn't get the memo that God's word and spirit weren't enough. This is uh, Michael Brown saying. And I'm, far, and I'm far more concerned with what he says than what the latest poll says. Really now, since when did the Lord command us to fashion our preaching and our style of worship and even the way we look based on what's trending? If some church leaders choose to trust in worldly business models, and carnal consulting firms, that's their choice. I say that we go with the power of the name of Jesus and the wisdom of the word of God and the fullness of the Spirit. I say that we go with the New Testament model applied with boldness and with compassion to the needs of the day. What do you think? Would you agree with Dr. Brown? Michael Brown? And then he goes on to say, years ago, Leonard Ravenhill, one of my heroes, said, one of these days, some simple soul will pick up the book of God, read it, and believe it. Then the rest of us will be embarrassed. I want to be that simple soul. How about you? You want to be that simple soul that picks up the word of God and believes it and proclaims it? I hope you enjoyed that. I hope it challenged you. And I hope that, that we'll understand that when we come to church, it's not just to hear something that's maybe entertaining or a few jokes. That's nice to have a few jokes. I, I need to work on that a little bit more. But, uh, but it's really to challenge us, isn't it? And I think the Christianity that some of us experienced, you know, 10, 15, 20 years, 25, 30 years ago, it, it, it's shifted. There's a whole new church. It's a different thinking in the church, in much of the church today. And I oftentimes say to Michelle, are we the only dinosaurs left, you know, that, that really want to proclaim the Scripture as true as we possibly can? Are we the only ones left? I mean, there has to be, there are a lot left. There are a lot. But I know that when you get around and look at what's going on or visit churches, sometimes it's it's, it can almost think 
Is there anybody left that's proclaiming the word? Is there anybody left that's speaking truth? Yes, yes, there is. But more so, God is looking for you to proclaim truth. In your workplace, schools, wherever it might be, he's looking for you to take a standard, to pick up his standard. That's not always easy, is it? But Jesus didn't promise it would be easy. But we can do it. Because we have the power of the Holy Spirit. Because we have the scriptures that do say, Be bold. Be strong. Let's say it together. Be bold. Be strong. For the Lord thy God is with you. Every place your foot steps, the Lord said to Joshua, every place your foot has stepped, I have given it unto you. Do not tremble. Do not be afraid. I have given it to you. So as we go out this week, we go out on our Memorial Day and then back to work on Tuesday, be bold. Be strong. I don't mean you have to be a fool of yourself. However, as John Wimber used to say, I'd rather be a fool for Christ. I, he, no, he would say, I am a fool for Christ, as the Apostle Paul would say, remember? Paul, the Apostle said, I'm a fool for Christ. And John Wimber said, I am a fool for Christ. And then he would turn it around and say, but whose fool are you? Something to think about, isn't it? But whose fool are you? Because everyone is going to serve somebody. Remember that? Everyone's going to serve somebody. You might serve the devil, you might serve the Lord, but you're going to serve somebody. It's old Bob Dylan song, remember that? All right, one last thing as we close here this morning, and that is I want to encourage you people and challenge you. We have in our church a lot of great workers, but we don't have enough spiritual workers, spiritual leaders in our church. And we're looking, this is, you don't have to come up to me afterwards, but we're looking for people, we're at a place and a time in our life, in our church life, that we need to build spiritual ministries here at New Life. And what I'm talking about is people that will say, you know what, I want to see prayer happen. I will open up my house for a prayer meeting every Tuesday night, whatever it might be. And I will gather people around that we will come and pray. And there may be some of you that say, you know what? You know who's on my heart? Our children, the children, my children, and the children of this church are on my heart. And I would like to come together in someone's home every Thursday night. And we're going to pray for an hour and a half or two hours for the kids, for the children. See, that is taking our faith from a place of position, seated with Christ, and putting it into practice. Because we can say that scripture all day long. I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. Well, good for you. But you're not doing anything with it. If you're seated with Christ, you're going to do something with it. We have to flip from the mentality, as I'm trying to mention today, we're trying to have to flip from the mentality of being, being, to doing. To proclaiming what he has. Some of you say, you know, I have a real heart to teach. I have a real heart for the loss. So I would like to start a prayer group, and we, would, we, will, we, will, we will target people that we know and pray them into the kingdom. What do you think of that? I have, a real, I have a real heart to teach people. I'd like to start a Bible study in my home. 
And that means that even on days like today, or evenings like tonight will be, and you have a prayer meeting or a Bible study scheduled, and only one person shows up, you say, I'm still doing it unto the Lord. We learned that the hard way. I'm still doing it unto the Lord, and we're still going to pray. We're still, if nobody shows up, we're going to make changes so people show up. That's called being a good, faithful worker where the Lord can say, well done, my good and faithful servant. So I want you to think, not only think about that, I want you to pray about those things, because it's time. It's time. Is it not? And it's time for me to stop. Is it not? All right, let's stand to our feet. Oh, praise God. God is so good, isn't he? How do you feel today? I hope you feel lifted up and encouraged to not... Beat up. I don't mean to beat anybody up. I want to encourage you. If I have to kick you in the pants a few times, I don't mind doing that, but I don't want to leave you down. All right? You can take it? All right. Let's pray. Lord, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to you today, and we thank you that I'm not seated under the Isle of Patmos, But as John said, he was on the Isle of Patmos. I am not placed in a place of defeat, but I am seated in a place of victory. And I thank you for using my life to bring victory to all those around me. Empower me. Continue to give me boldness focus that I may hit the target with my life. Forgive me for my slothfulness. And I ask this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. If anyone